fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. It's here, the G.I. Joe collection. Infantry Trooper. Codename Grunt. Bazooka Soldier. Codename Zap. Motor Soldier. Codename Short Fuse. Laser Rifle Trooper. Codename Flash. Ranger. Codename Stalker. Communications Officer. Codename Breaker. Machine Gunner. Codename Rock and Roll. Counterintelligence. Codename Scarlet. Commando. Codename Snake Eyes. Each sold separately. G.I. Joe from Hasbro. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is there. Can the world oppose the deadliest of foes? Cobra. Cobra. Joe's will risk it all to win. G.I. Joe, the real American headcast, is the code name for Aaron's daring, highly trained headcast. Its purpose? To podcast about G.I. Joe, Fighting Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. Fighting for freedom, And welcome back to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. This month, once again, we have joining us our regular co-host for the next few months, Ryan Daly. Hey there, Ryan. How's it going, everybody? And also joining us on this call, we have our friend, uh, Mr. Pat Sampson. Pat? Hello, everyone. There you are. How you, how you doing today, buddy? Good to be on. How's it going today, Pat? Oh, good. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> that was to me. Sorry. And, it's uh, going you're, good. You're the one I call buddy, no. <laughs> Uh, These other guys. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Speaking of guests, we have returning Jared Albright, the yard sale artist. Hey, Jared. hey, hey! Thanks for ha- hey, man. Thanks for having me. Just uh, didn't tell me Pat was going to be here, but we'll do our best. Well, I know you guys have some difficulties in your, in your personal <laughs> life, but <laughs> I'm just glad you decided to join us after being here last time. Oh, it was a blast! I really appreciate you guys having me. So, um, yeah, let's crank it up to eleven. A lot of times, one time's enough for people. <laughs> okay, well, again, I've asked you guys here so we can talk about some more G.I. Joe. So we're going to get started with G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 14. It was cover dated August of 1983. The on-sale date was May the 10th of 1983. This cost a 60 whole cents. The editor was Dennis O'Neill. Writer, of course, Larry Hama. Penciler, Mike Vosberg. Inker, John Ignacio. Letterer, Joseph Rosen, Rosen, colorist, Christy Shealy, and the cover was done by Herb Trimpey and Steve Mitchell. And the title of this one was called Destro Attacks. Uh, this was reprinted in the G.I. Joe Comics Magazine number 5, Tales of G.I. Joe number 14, and G.I. Joe Volume 2 Trade Paperback. And Digest number 5. Oh, that was the uh, Comics Magazine. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah, it took me a little no. bit to get that. Now I feel out. like an idiot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's all right. That's Don't say anything, Pat. Don't say anything, Pat. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm biting my tongue here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it took me. I think the first episode I made that same, or when we talked about it, I made that same mistake. And like, well, it was also in the Digest. I don't know why that. that yeah, I always, I, I always thought Comics Magazine was the was like the more treasury sized. So yeah, no, you're right. It says right on the cover too. <laughs> It says Comics Magazine, and under that it says, Jared, you are a dumbass. Yep, dumbass. It says it right here. Got it. The copy I had, I don't recall saying that, but... No. (laughs) That's in Pat's handwriting. That's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go ahead and get on the synopsis of this story. I need you guys to stay with me on this issue, because much like last time, there's a lot of jumping around to different groups. So pick up our story where we left off last month. Snake Eyes, Quinn, and Dr. Venom is stuck in the bunker, all three men still alive. Venom is upset that Snake Eyes was trying to get was trying to signal the Joes. Quinn says that since Cobra isn't going to help them, and they're the ones that bombed them, they need to work together to get out. Back in Staten Island, the Joes have cracked the microdot they found last issue. Back in Cobra HQ, the Baroness has a t- private talk with our mysterious figure, who we finally learn is named Destro. Back in the sunken bunker, Dr. Venom opens a valve, flooding the bunker. Back with the Joes, Flag arrives to see the microdot reveals Cobra is involved with a town in Vermont called Springfield. Back with Cobra, the commander and Baroness discuss the clue they left, supposedly leading the Joes to a chaplain's assistant school in Fort Wadsworth, which will keep them far away from Springfield. Also, meanwhile, Destro is speaking with Scarface and confirming that he switched the microdots for him. Back in the underwater bunker, we learn that Dr. Venom is flooding the bunker to pressurize it so Quinn will be able to open the door. Of course, to do that, he'll need to give his gun and light to Venom, because Snake Eyes can no longer hold something for any reason. Back at the pit, Hawk is loading the Joes up to begin their assault on Springfield by waiting on a baseball diamond for Wild Bill to pick them up. Back in Cobra HQ, Destro continues talking to Scarface, where he discovers that while Cobra Commander normally goes to Springfield alone, the Baroness usually drives pilots for him. Back in the bunker, Quinn takes his guns underwater with him as he pries the door open, praying to the spirit of the otter to help him dive deep, the spirit of the bear to have the strength to open the door, and the spirit of the weasel to outwit Dr. Venom. Back in the skies, on the way to Springfield, the Joes are passed by a supersonic craft. Springfield, the commander and Baroness, are landing in a supersonic aircraft, while back at Cobra HQ, Destro is loading up a crew of airborne troopers to drop them in Vermont, as he knows the commander's in trouble. Back in the bunker, after Snake Eyes escapes the bunker, Dr. Venom bashes Quinn in the head with a wrench, leaving him for dead. As they merge on dry land, they meet up with the armed Cobra Mercs from last issue, who are a little upset about the traps the Joes left for them. In the furniture factory on the outskirts of Springfield, the Commander and Baroness don protective gear as they break the seal on the toxin that the Baroness brought back to Cobra. Back at the Joes, Stalker reports to Hawk that the town looks normal enough, but the furniture factory on its outskirts is suspicious, as it's named ARBCO, A-R-B-C-O, which is an anagram for Cobra. On the other side of Springfield... Destro and his crew have landed, are headed in to help the Commander and Baroness. Meanwhile, said Baroness and Commander are injecting the Cobra Trooper with the toxin, which won't harm him, but should activate in about two weeks and affect the Joes, since he'll be in their custody by then. As the Cobra Mercs decide to make Venom and Snake Eyes walk to the airfield before they kill both of them, both the Joes and Destro are converging on the factory. Injected with the toxin, the Cobra Trooper dies immediately. As it appears Dr. Venom, being a treacherous Cobra, has withheld the final catalyst to the toxin. Hmm, someone on Cobra's team doing something treacherous. Who would have thought that? Outside the Arbco furniture factory, Destro and the Joes shoot it out, giving the Commander and Baroness time to escape their, in their supersonic craft before her ace shows up and blows the factory away. 
We end with Destro happy that he helped the Baroness, and of course the Commander, escape. The Joes licking their wounds, and the Cobra Mercs marching their prisoners away, while bubbles are coming from the bunker, to be continued. And that is issue 14. Uh, let's go and get your guys' thoughts on it. Let's go ahead and start with uh, Pat. What are your thoughts on this issue? Oh, um, it's a great issue. I really in- enjoy this one. Just the long story that has been started, I think, since issue 12. Uh, and and we'll continue on again uh, as we get a little bit more of the plot going on. I like the there were some points in here that I liked. I like the uh, the mystery between Baroness and Destro, as we all know how that comes out. But rereading it again to f- see how it all began. Also the backstabbing. Uh, you kind of mentioned that of Doctor Venom, just you know backstabbing not only on the formula but also you know backstabbing Quinn. Um, and then with Destro, he's also doing a little behind the scenes, trying to backstab Cobra Commander as well. Found some there was some humor in it in there as well uh, between Scarlet and Clutch when they're in the APC. Clutch kind of makes a comment to her, you know, better look. Uh, you know, maybe your idea next time will work, as uh, she was kind of shut down by Hawk. And then they used the word uh, both teams, uh, Destro's team. And uh, from Scarface, and I believe it was Clutch, uh, they talk about how far a crow, a crow flies. Maybe a couple miles. I'm, so I'm guessing a, cloak, right. a crow can fly maybe like a mile per hour, or I, I don't know. What am I going to do with you, Pat? Ah. <laughs> 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 Uh, but uh, and then just uh, another funny thing I saw was a commander, uh, you know, taking target practice on Scarlet Stalker, and I'm not sure who the other guy was in there. Just kind of found that funny that he's, you know, got stand-ups created of everybody that he doesn't like and shoots at him. Yeah, it looks like maybe, maybe uh, I'm not sure who that. Is. Yeah, it turns out it's a helmet and a beard. Maybe it's uh, it could be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, roll. Hard to say without any. Yeah. Detail, but other other than that, yeah, I, I enjoyed this the story. The art artwork was very good. I think you know you can tell who each character is. All right, and Ryan, what are your thoughts on this issue? Uh, a few things. I I liked this one. I didn't like it as much as the last issue, uh, and part of it is just it's this one feels very scattered, and I'm sure you realize that as you were doing the synopsis. Yeah. Uh, that we we keep jumping back and forth, and there are very short scenes. I kind of wish Larry would have structured it a little bit differently. Maybe instead of giving us two panels of Snake Eyes and Quinn and Dr. Venom every three pages, just give us maybe like two or three scenes of them spread out throughout the entire book. Or just have their whole thing done at the beginning or at the end of the issue. Yeah. Right. A few uh, notable uh, firsts for this issue. This issue marks the first appearance of the G.I. Joe Ace. Also, the vehicles, the Sky Striker and the APC, the Armored Personnel Carrier, or Amphibious Personnel Carrier. Uh, and it is also our first full appearance of Destro, the first time we see his face. A few other things, uh, and, and Pat mentioned like the scene where we see him and uh, his interaction with Baroness. There's a point in their conversation where he asks Baroness to call him by his new name. And it's, it, he does that as if Destro is his code name. And later on in the history of this comic, we'll find out that Destro is actually his surname. It's his family name, James McCullen Destro. Uh, so that could be sort of a retcon, but I was, I was looking into it and there is a 
a G.I. Joe historian named Mark Belomo, who kind of did some research on this. And one of the other places where this book was reprinted was in the uh, the IDW print of the complete collection for G.I. Joe Volume 2, which is a hardcover collection. And I really like those collections because after each issue, he Belomo gives like notes and sources, kind of like a director's commentary. Mm-hmm. I have to look into that. For this one, he actually said, and I never heard about this until I was reading this, but uh, when Larry Hama was developing the character of Destro with Hasbro, when they were kind of figuring out who this guy is, what he's going to look like, what his backstory is, originally his code name was going to be Warmaster. Hmm. Oh, okay. And like, as he was sort of the weapons developer, the head of this guy, this corporation called Mars, which was, you know, um, military armaments research, whatever. So Warmaster was going to be his code name, and maybe Destro was still part of his name that Larry Hama was developing. So maybe when he wrote the first part of this dialogue, when he had, when he asked Baroness to call him by his new name, maybe her one word, or maybe her answer in that was supposed to be originally Warmaster. That was what she was calling him. But then at the last minute or later on in the scripting process, Larry and Hasbro changed their mind, and that ha- that line had to be redone because it's just one word balloon on that little panel. So I don't know. Maybe that, that was just a, a little bit of speculation. Yeah. It's either that or, like you said, it's a retcon, and mm-hmm. at this time they didn't know what his name was going to be. Right, it could be. They didn't know they were going to call him because, again, we don't find that out until – much later, yeah, much, much later. Yeah. So yeah, I think it may have been just Destro, and they're like, "What's, what's his real name?" Eh, we'll figure it out later, and eventually they decide to for the whole thing. I don't know. That's, that'd be interesting. What else you got there, uh, Ryan? Um, uh, those were some of my bigger notes. Like I said, the, the issue was good. It was a good story. It was fun to see uh, the G.I. Joe and Cobra actually like, fighting each other, but. I don't know. It felt like maybe like the stakes, the this story, maybe it lacked a little bit of the punch that the last ones had. I mean, I think Larry had been kind of cooking up with the last couple of issues. He worked really well when he has a small contained group of Joes, like right. you know, like in issue twelve when you've got you know just Snake Eyes, Stalker, Gungho, and Breaker, and the last issue like a few others on this little mission. Right now, it's. I don't know. I, I didn't. I wasn't really as invested in the the action piece of this. Um, I will say, even though it, it's set up that they 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 the town where they're fighting Springfield, Vermont, being a resident of Vermont, I actually looked in. There is a town called Springfield in Vermont. I've driven past it several times. Uh, I've oh. seen the town. It's. I I, I don't know that. Uh, <laughs> what's his, uh that um, Mike Vosberg and D'Agostino were actually drawing from any kind of pictures. Most New England towns look the same, and they look pretty much like this. So, Did you see any suspicious activity? Um, there were a lot of people with red bandanas covering the lower half of the map. <laughs> um, you you I, suspicious about that. <laughs> I, just, I just thought, well, that's, you know, that's kids today. I didn't make the Cobra connection. <laughs> you weren't you used going to be able to, to get, get really nice furniture there. Yeah. You used to be able to get really nice furniture there. <laughs> Maybe you were there looking for a crib or something for you. <laughs> Just an ottoman. <laughs> it's uh yeah now it, it was yeah Arbco Arbco moved out now it's um <laughs> it's Casey's house of furniture and plague toppings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Jared, what are your thoughts on this issue? Well, uh, you guys covered most of it. I actually like the the frenetic pace of it, but I know why you have me on to lend military authenticity to the show 
and for witty and for witty banter. So uh, <laughs> in that vein, uh, I actually thought it was really neat. This is kind of from a, one of my favorite eras of G.I. Joe where it, it did indeed still have a fair amount of military authenticity. And, I, and I'm really referring more to like the vehicles. I thought it was neat that you had like an APC, which is fairly on model for a real military APC. Uh, Wild Bill flies the CH-54 Sky Crane, which is pretty neat. That's a real uh, helicopter. Um, the uh, A shows up in the Tomcat. You know, that's real F-14. I always just like that era where they were using real or, or somewhat slightly modified real uh, military stuff. And of course, I still love the fun stuff that they bring later on. Uh, but this era just is special to me because, you know, I'm kind of a military guy and it's neat to see stuff that, that you know, you know exists. So that was kind of cool. Uh, on the witty banter side of things, I had a couple of moments that I thought were kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I really liked at the very beginning where Dr. Venom like, like snaps up that chair and he's like, I'm going to kill Snake Eyes with my bare hands. <laughs> Obviously, he forgot that Snake Eyes was Snake Eyes and that he was Dr. Venom because that's a bad proposition right there. That'd be like you. Yeah, I've got a similar note for later on when uh, when they're getting out of the water and Venom comes towards Snake Eyes with a wrench like he's going to take Snake Eyes know, with right? a wrench. Have you forgotten who your face yeah, is? Yeah, he's a guy that just, just smacked you up when you tried to hit him with a chair and you were like, oh, I guess I'll try for the wrench this time. Just give up, Dr. Venom. He's like, shh. Snake Eyes is a guy that can kill you just by looking at you, <laughs> and you think you're going to take him off the wrench. Yeah, goodness. But yeah, and the other thing that I found kind of particularly amusing about the issue is when uh, Baroness and Cobra Commander are having their discussion. Um, it's kind of hard to tell you where in the story that happens because so many things happen in the story, but just trust me. And they're like having this discussion and, 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 and Cobra Commander is so very casually just like firing a Browning 50 caliber machine gun. <laughs> And some targets, and, and he's, he's like, he's just like sitting in like his Cobra style lounge chair. And <laughs> no one has to yell, no one has any hearing protection, but he's just just casually blasting away a fifty caliber machine gun. And what's even better, she's just like she's going right along with it. She's like belt feeding the ammo in while they're having this casual yeah. conversation. <laughs> I gotta tell you, any time that I've been firing off live rounds, there hasn't been casual conversation involved. To be honest with you. Well, you must not have the right type of gun. I'm, I'm picturing uh, like a soldier, one of the Cobra officers, like kind of off to the side with a tray with some peanuts and something else to drink for them. That... <laughs> you know, he's like, my dear Baroness, did the Joes snap up the microdot? She should be like, what? <laughs> did they snap up the microdot? <laughs> but anyway, enough of my dumbness. Do they have snacks on the microlaunch? <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll have snacks. I don't know. The only other thing that kind of cracked me up was how casually it was near the end. I think it was Hawk who said after the uh, the launch vehicle goes, you know, basically Baroness and, and Cobra Commander hightail it out of there at the very end before Ace blows up the building. And uh, I think it was Hawk who who just kind of casually says, "Oh, okay, good thing it wasn't an ICBM. It was just a it was just a plane." I'm like, I'm like, that's pretty casual for an intercontinental ballistic missile. <laughs> like, Oh, good news, guys. World War III isn't going to break out tonight. <laughs> Let's go get some Yojo Cola. Yeah, the, yeah, the fact that a U.S. fighter jet actually fired a missile on a, any building in the United States. <laughs> wow, yeah, that, here it is. It's just, <laughs> yeah, the factory roof is opening. Start of action. It might be... Nope. I thought it might be an anti-tank replacement. It's not. It's a missile silo. Wait a What? <laughs> Well, it's on the outskirts of the town, so, you know, nobody's probably going to see what's happening. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> there it is. Uh, so yeah, the last page. Last page, yes. Where it talks about <laughs> it wasn't an ICBM silo after all. Just some sort of some rocket, sort of rocket plane. plane. Thank God, millions <laughs> won't be killed. Good day, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, aside from the silliness, though, I I enjoyed the the the, the fast paced jump around. I could see where it'd be a little. You know, everyone was sort of commenting about how it was a little distracting. I, I kind of liked it, but then again, I've got, you know, ADD, so it worked well for me. I'm going to follow up on that. And like I say, it was a little distracting, but considering what Larry was dealing with a bunch of different groups, I, I liked the way the transitions in the book, he handled them. I agree with Ryan. I think it probably would have been a little better if he had maybe grouped some of the stories a little more together. But the way it was done, I, I do like the way the transitions was handled. Uh, my first notes I have here is on the cover. Uh, it's a good cover. My only problem with it is, is as you're reading the story, they keep Destro in shadows for a little bit, and it's like a big deal to reveal his name and what he looks like. But we've got him straight front on the cover. Mm. I mean, the t- title of the story is Destro Attacks, and Destro is <laughs> full-blown on the cover. I-, I think the cover image doesn't really sync up with what Larry was trying to convey in the issue. At least that's the way, that's the way I read it. They take the, when they're revealing Destro, it takes a couple panels on two, two different pages before they reveal who he, what he looks like in his name. But we've already gotten all that from the cover and the title of the story. So I just thought that was a little, a little odd. I, I do like there at the beginning when Venom and Quinn are talking about death. And how Venom asks, are you afraid of death? He's like, oh, I don't fear death. And he's like, oh, there's some deaths you should be afraid of. I thought that was an interesting little conversation they were having. And again, I do like the way Destro, as we talked about, is double-crossing Cobra and revealing Cobra's location to the Joes. I thought that was, again, much like Dr. Venom withholding the final component to Cobra. You get villains working together, and you can't really trust one another. And as I mentioned in my synopsis, I don't know if you guys have answered this, but Quinn said he had to give his guns to Venom. Why? Snake Eyes is standing there. Can't Snake Eyes hold the guns? I mean, <laughs> he's just sitting there watching their interaction without saying a word. Yeah. Well, but, <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that was kind of odd that he's Venom's like, hey, to go under, you have to give me your guns. <laughs> Venom's like, I'll just take them with me. Why can't Snake Eyes hold them? Well, and why wouldn't uh, Snake Eyes go last? Just, uh, you know, keeping yeah. the madman in the middle so we can, just in case something happens. We can't. You trust uh, Quinn we for the most part. But. We can't even trust Dr. Venom with a chair when we, we're going to give him the gun. <laughs> uh, uh, and I, I do like the chaplain's assistants. Uh, getting upset with the military guys driving their APC onto their onto their ball field <laughs> in the middle of the game. I, I guess that's the only place that they do a pickup in the area. You know, it looks like most of the scenes are in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, they. Uh, my other comment, I. I'm sorry, I was going to say, yeah, they always have that kind of a. Uh throughout some of these, the, the little humor of them interacting with uh, civil, civilians. Um, like later on in the farmer area where they land in this, this farmer's field, Destro lands in there, and the farmer makes a comment about, uh, must be from New York, everyone's crazy down there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Speaking of the field stuff, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just remember, you know, um, Pat was asking about, the crow thing earlier, which has got me wondering, if, is is that a military expression, or, or does anybody else know the as the as, crow flies expression? As the crow flies? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard it. 
Okay, you guys got yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. No, it generally, it's just like the, like if you're looking at a map, like where you're not taking into account infrastructure like roads or bridges or something like the right. distance Straight between line two distance. places. But right. that's, you know, that's so it's, if you're hoofing it, if you're hiking or something like that, it, it's a better account of actual distance, but that doesn't necessarily mean when you're driving. And f- again, from personal experience, driving in Vermont, the di- uh, a distance as the crow flies is very distant is very different from actual <laughs> oh, okay. driving on roads distance because there's so many hills and mountains that like all the roads are switchbacks and and twists and turns and everything like that it takes a, a lot longer well, like the Joe say here it's five miles driving but it's only two miles of the crow flies so it's a little over twice as long Mm-mm. driving it uh, I think I might use that the next time my kids ask are we there yet <laughs> <laughs> As soon as the crow flies, we'll be As there. the crow flies, it's only 20 miles away. But, right. <laughs> I was just on that because uh, Pat had said something that he had, hadn't quite understood it. And then I was like, well, is that just a military term? But So Pat's just crazy then? We're all in agreement? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I'm sorry, Pat. I love you. You know I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, are, um, there are a few other parts uh, that I was thinking of, and... Aaron, I, gosh, I think it's probably been over a year since we talked about issue 12. Um, but remember that issue? Uh, like six months, but eh. or eight months. I have no idea when this episode is going to come. But um, <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> when that issue ended, remember the state of Snake Eyes was that he had been burned badly and he took his mask off before he do- before he dove in the bunker and saved Venom and Quinn from the from the bombing. So that's true. Yeah, I, I guess it's just like he just has a spare mask and gloves that he keeps in his pocket or something. Because <laughs> I think we've seen that before, where he's pulled out a spare mask. Yeah, at some other time. So yeah, he must. Yeah, I'm just pulling out that issue. I forgot about that. Cause, yeah, it's been a while. Because issue 12, he doesn't have his mask on when he dives in the bunker, and then we don't see him in issue 13, and then this one, uh, yeah, he's got his mask back on and everything looks fine. So yeah, I forgot about that, but yeah, here. Here at the, the last page of issue twelve, he's pounding on uh, Doctor Venom, and you can his face is in shadows. You can tell it's a, it's a burnt husk, mm-hmm. and yeah, Quinn pushes him back in. So yeah, he must have an extra mask on his belt somewhere. And one of the other things I liked this was I liked all of the interactions between Destro and Scarface, and I liked it like for for as much as Scarface is designed to just look like a regular lowly officer. He gets a like he gets a lot of personality in these, and like Destro at one point even like insinuates that there's some crazy mystery to Scarface, like his backstory, and like he knows things about Scarface, and I don't think we ever find out what any of that means. But he, he's got this kind of like impudence that he's got like a, an assertiveness that borders on impudence, like when he reveals that you know the Baroness is going with Cobra Commander, and Destro has set this up as an as an ambush to to betray the. Com- for commander, and now he has to basically undo his own machinations in order to save her. <laughs> There's this whole thing where, like, Scarface is like, "How do you know they're in danger? Like, uh, why, why are we doing this?" And Destro's like, I, "He's like, don't worry. I've been, I have information. I've, I've heard that there was an ambush." And Scarface is like, "Okay, that sounds good. I feel like I should point out though that." You haven't been given any new information. Like I haven't heard you talk to anybody else since I told you I've that they're been with you. Yeah, I've been with you the whole time, and <laughs> nobody else has told you that they're in danger. So again, how do you know? 
Don't question me. I'm Destro. <laughs> and then you, and he, Destro fell back on the same skills that I fall back on with my kids, and I'm, I'm sure the other fellas do, and you one day will too. You just go, hey, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Because I said so. <laughs> I, I, I thought maybe he got you know some signal from his uh, disco necklace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, I t- like I tell my kids. I'm your father. I know everything. I was just, <laughs> nice. just stop working. That stopped working. My boys got to be their mid to late teens. And they started questioning that, but when they're younger, they bought it. <laughs> but I was just, I was waiting for, for uh, Scarface to actually make the connection and just say, so you've, bet- you're, you, you betrayed it. You're plotting against the Cobra commander, right? That's how you know this because it's your plan. <laughs> and I was, Scarface, like, how long do you think you're going to survive if you say that? Like, where do you think this conversation is going to go? Hey, shut up. That's probably why you didn't push me further. Yeah, that's why. It's kind of like Scarface is trying to, you know, get it, get over on Destro a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But Destro shuts him down. (laughs) Well, as we see as we run across the field, Destro doesn't really play around. The one guy kind of straggling behind Scarface. I can shoot him. And then she anyone else that falls behind also. It's like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, Destro doesn't really fool around. <laughs> but back to your earlier statement, Ryan, about uh, Snake Eyes and his lack of mask. Mm-hmm. Again, since I was looking at issue 12, I pulled it out. Uh, his gloves was also torn off. Mm-hmm. His, uh, his sleeve was partially ripped. And, again, this issue, it's all back to normal. So I don't get his pair costume in there also or what. <laughs> Or Larry just forgot in the month or two that he were between issues. Well, Larry says, uh, hey, shut up. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I'm not going to question Larry now. <laughs> no, actually, it's, that's more probably either Mike Vosberg or uh, the inker or the colorist that probably made that flood is what I would guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but overall, I, I enjoyed this issue also. I thought it was I thought it was a good issue. Like Ryan said, not quite as good as the, the previous issue. I think part of that may be because this is a middle part of the story where they're getting things lined up for the ending. So that may be why the, the uh, action everything wasn't quite as intense as it normally is. Mm-hmm. Overall, I said I like this issue. and I Again, I didn't read this when it first came out. I read this in the, the digest form when I first read this story. But I thought, you know, I loved G.I. Joe, so... Even a bad issue of G.I. Joe is better than a lot of other books out there. So, Actually, I just thought of I, – I just looked and I was comparing the issues, and I think I know why I don't like this issue as much. And I like think that. it's because – okay, look, if you look at the end of issue 13, the previous issue, it ends with three panels. We see bubbles rising to the top of the river, and we see a close-up of the bunker. Issue 14, right. this one that we're talking about, ends the exact same way, except it's two panels. But we see bubbles rising to the top of the water and a close-up of the bunker, telling us that Quinn is still alive. These two issues end on essentially the exact same note, revealing that whoever was in the bunker is still alive. And I think it's cool, it's a cool reveal, but him doing it twice in consecutive issues, I think it just plants the idea in my brain that Nothing really has gone on in this issue. The story has not advanced because it ends at the exact same place. So even though there is, even though there is a lot going in, on in the story, 
having it end at the exact same place where the previous issue ended. Essentially, it's not the same, but visually it looks right. just the same. Like, I can't, like, it tricks my brain into thinking nothing really happened in this issue. Nothing really was accomplished. Well, even going back to the panel before that, in the previous issue, we have uh, Hawk saying that, you know, basically saying that uh, Snake Eyes is dead, we're going to do it for him. And in this issue, a couple of panels before that, we have Dr. Venom saying that Quinn is dead. Mm-hmm. So again, someone pronounces him as dead, then we end up at the bunker showing that they're not. So yeah, no, it is a very, even though you said it's very different, it's very similar. Yeah. So. I like how at the end of the first one, it says next, you know, he's got that great cliffhanger we talked about on the last episode when all the cool people were recording on the last episode. And then it says, and it says next Destro attacks. And then on this one, it's got the cliffhanger, but it says, it says next issue, Quinn gets even. So you're like, well, so much for that cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the last issue kind of ruins the surprise of Destro. This issue kind of ruins the ending of, you know, is Quinn still, is Quinn going to survive? Well, yeah, the next issue kind of tells us he is. Yeah, sure is. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this issue, or have you guys spoken yourself out? Well, I had something on the actual comic itself. I don't know. Um, I'll obviously know what version. Uh, Jared's reading the Digest version of it. Um, I didn't break out my it comic makes me feel magazine big. version of it. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it makes you feel like you're a big man. And with it does. <laughs> But anyway, I, I read it uh, in the Tales of the G.I. Joe, and uh, with that particular printing of it, pages 5 and 20 are swapped. Hmm. So Really? In that version. And I have two copies of the Tales of the of the Tales uh, version of it. And I'm, I'm like, so I opened up my other second copy. I'm like, is that really right? And I opened it up, and yep, sure enough, it th- that must have been that run that they did. Uh, pages 5 and 20 were... Is page 5 the one? Because these aren't numbered. Uh, is that the one of Cobra shooting the? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ch- yeah, it's page five of the, the story. Yeah, so it goes from on the Tales version. It goes uh, right as the Vamp is bringing in uh, General Flag into the right. the thing. Then it goes to the ten second countdown. I'm like, what? What? What just happened here? Because <laughs> there's death That's weird. Uh, I'm like, I'm talking to Bar. He's talking to Baroness, and the next thing I know, he's on this field shooting. <laughs> That's weird. So, I, I didn't know if uh, is it that way in the digest or the, or the magazine. <laughs> now that I know that they're one and the same, and knowing is half the battle. GI Joe. Uh, it, it, no, it it plays out all regular style in the digest magazine. <laughs> and yeah, I'm, I'm just reading a uh, scan of the, the actual comic, okay. which comes out, which which has played out fine. So hmm. very interesting. Yeah. Hey, do you guys have any other thoughts on this, uh, Jared? Uh, no, sir. I think we've covered it. Ryan? Nope, I'm good. And Pat, anything else? No, uh, that's all I got. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll play some ads from some other podcasts, and we'll be right back with the uh, second episode of the actual cartoon. G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Hey folks, this is Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist and semi-regular co-host of the Longbox Crusade podcast with Pat Sampson. Pat came to me recently with a fantastic idea on how we might get the podcast community involved in taking some action to do some good. He called this idea Comics for Courage. Comics for Courage 
is a concept that came to Pat after I told him the fantastic true story of when I was stationed in Iraq during my military service. While there, I received a huge care package of comic books from the awesome folks over at Wizard and Toy Fair magazines. We had so many comics, we didn't know what to do with them all. Seriously, it was over 100 pounds of comics. So me and a couple of buddies took the bounty of comics we had down to the give-and-take library we'd set up in our headquarters building. And you know what? Within 24 hours, all the comics were gone. The bottom line here is that throughout history, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, one thing remains a constant. Soldiers love comics. It's quick easy, fun reading that gives a soldier a taste of home and lets them escape into an amazing world of comics, even if it's just for a few minutes. So here's the best part of Comics for Courage. Pat and I aren't asking you to donate one cent of your money to Comics for Courage. What we would love is for you to donate your excess comics. You know those ones that are just kind of laying around. Just drop them into a box or a big envelope and mail them over to supportourtroops.org. Their mailing address is supportourtroops.org. 13617 North Florida Avenue, Tampa, Florida 33613. Now, they will make sure those comics get distributed to random soldier care packages, and as a person who's been on the receiving end of this, I can tell you it will mean a lot. And if you'd rather donate money than give up a single comic book, trust me, we understand about that, you can donate through their website as well. Again, that's supportourtroops.org. Just remember two things, all right? Two things. One, make sure the comics have good, clean content. No nudity or adults-only comics, please. Those are the rules for any military member receiving goods downrange. Okay, and number two, this is the fun one. Please take a picture of you with your donation stack and post it on Twitter or Facebook at Longbox Crusade. Or email it to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'd love to give you an on-air shout-out and post your pick on the longboxcrusade.com website. In summary, Pat and I over at Longbox Crusade Podcast would greatly appreciate you taking this small action to make a difference in the life of someone who is far from home defending our freedoms. Thank you for supporting the Comics for Courage initiative. That website, again, is supportourtroops.org. Please check it out. Throw them some comics. Make some soldiers happy. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Booster? Hey, bro. Gah! Bats! Booster! Together! Wow. Well, this is great. This is just awesome. You never said you and Booster were friends. <laughs> it never came up. A consummate professional like you? Friends with a dilettante like Booster? You're both my friends, okay? You're more of a work friend, and Booster is more of a fun friend. What's more fun than fighting crime? Ooh, he's got you there. Hi, this is FKA Jason's son again. I just wanted to take another minute of your time to tell you about his podcast, Silver and Gold. He and his buddy Roy Charlemagne Clary celebrate the DC Comics characters Booster Gold and Captain Atom, issue by issue, and blah, 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 blah. Listen, the real reason you want to listen to the Silver and Gold is their Throwback Thursday episodes, because I'm the star of those shows. Dad and I review the Silver Age Captain Adam stories published by Charlton Comics in the 1960s. You can find the Silver and Gold podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow Dad's Splitting Adam's blog at CaptainAdamBlog.com. We all know the real reason you'll be tuning in is to hear me criticize, uh, I mean, celebrate the Silver Age Captain Adam in our Throwback Thursday episodes. I can't believe Dad roped me into this. 
silver and gold. Everyone searching for silver and gold. If you're alone, when you grow old, you'll never find comfort in silver and gold. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Feels good. Feels good. Hello, sweetie. My name is Aaron Moss. But my friends, they just call me Head. I have a question. Do you enjoy Firestorm, The Atom, G.I. Joe, and other comic books? How about Star Wars, superhero movies, role-playing games, or books? Well, you know what? I love them all. And you know why? I'm a giant geek with an addiction. I have a Green Lantern ring, a Green Lantern power battery, a bat signal, along with other geeky items. I also have over 20 long boxes out in my garage, collecting about 20 years worth of comics. Come, join me the second week of every month as I talk about all things geeky and try to deal with my addiction. Also, for the next little while, I'll be reviewing the comics of my favorite hero, the Atom. Superhero scientist Ray Palmer, trapped at six inches tall in the Amazon rainforest, the Sword of the Atom. I'm going to start with the Sword of the Atom miniseries and one-shots, then review the Power of the Atom series which will eventually tie in with one of my other shows, Task Force X. Where can you find this podcast, you may ask? Why, I'm at head.headspeaks.com. I can also be found on iTunes under Headspeaks and on Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Google+, both under Headspeaks. Also, look for the Headcast Network, where all of my great shows can be found under one convenient feed. Come, take a look. And this podcast is not endorsed nor affiliated with Kid and Play. That would be pretty cool, huh? Anyways, I'll let Kid and Play take this out. Welcome back. We got me a Joe Cola, so I'm ready to go on. Uh, we're going to go ahead and look at the second episode of the cartoon, The Further Adventures of G.I. Joe. The actual, I guess this was actually, my DVR, when it records, it listed as season three. <laughs> but it's actually, I guess, the first season of the actual show. I'm not sure how that works out, but Ryan, why don't you educate us a little further and tell us what happened? Yeah, I think each one of the miniseries, like the first miniseries with the mass device is called season one. And the Revenge of Cobra was season two, so this is season three, and this miniseries led into the ongoing. But anyway, regardless. Yo, Joe! He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra, the enemy, fighting to save the day. Never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose? To defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. G.I. 
never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. The Pyramid of Darkness Part 2, Rendezvous in the City of the Dead, originally aired on Tuesday, September 17th, 1985 at 3 p.m. Shipwreck and Snake Eyes, along with their pets Polly the Parrot and Timber the Wolf, were infiltrating a secret Cobra assembly plant when Shipwreck failed the voice print ID scan at the security check. The Joes and their animals are about to be killed by the automated security system when somehow Polly is able to mimic the voice print and fool the machine. The Joes proceed into the plant where massive obsidian cubes are being constructed for Cobra Commander's latest scheme to take over the world. Just as Shipwreck plants a homing beacon on one of the cubes, a Cobra supervisor notices them and asks the all-too-logical question, why are these guys walking around with a parrot and a wolf? Shipwreck is able to fool the guy, telling him that the animals are Destro's personal pets, and should anything happen to them, Destro would be most upset. After that, the supervisor gives Shipwreck and Snake Eyes a wide berth. The Joes have established a temporary base aboard the U.S. aircraft carrier commanded by Admiral Ledger. While the Admiral is making known his antiquated biases against having women aboard the sailing vessel, the carrier's computers pick up the signal from Shipwreck's homing device. Cobra forces are transporting the first control cube to a remote volcanic area colorfully known as the Devil's Playground. In the orbital space station Delta, the monstrous fatal fluffies work the captured G.I. Joes like slaves in zero gravity. Mutt wonders why Zartan has them rebuilding and rewiring the station's computer systems instead of using the laser cannon to bombard more surface targets. They need more intelligence on Zartan's plan and a way to get that information to the Joes down on Earth. Mutt and Dusty create a diversion by turning the gravity back on, slamming the unprepared Fluffies and Dreadnoughts to the floor. Dusty makes a run for it, escaping down a corridor and diving down a shaft to what would be his certain death, except Mutt turns the gravity back off, slowing Dusty's descent and the Dreadnought's pursuit of him. Dusty makes it to Delta's control center where Duke is being held captive, and Zarkman is in communication with Cobra Commander. Dusty catches a glimpse of the computer screen and the plans for Cobra's Pyramid of Darkness before he's recaptured. At the Devil's Playground site, Destro oversees the placement of the first control cube when a G.I. Joe team led by Flint and Lady J attacks. Back on Delta, Dusty and Mutt are once again able to create a diversion by tricking the Fatal Fluffies into rioting with each other. This gives Dusty enough time to sabotage the station's communication system so that every signal Zartan and Cobra Commander send to each other is intercepted by the Joes. Roadblock, Airtight, and Footloose lead a mission to stop the Crimson Twins from planting a second control cube at the City of the Dead in Southeast Asia. Meanwhile, Alpine and Bazooka set out to prevent Major Blood from placing a third cube at a remote Arctic site called the Mountain of Glass. Don't you just love the names they come up for these places? (laughs) (laughs) At the control cube assembly plant, Shipwreck and Snake Eyes sneak into the chief engineer's office and steal a laser disc with the full schematics for the cubes. After Polly and Timber save the two from Cobra Troopers, the Joes climb aboard a handrail cart and escape down the subway tunnel. But Cobra Troopers give chase in the tunnels. With some fancy maneuvering, the Joes get away and finally climb up to the surface of Enterprise City, where they can shed their Cobra disguises and dress in their normal clothes of Sailor Blue's black ninja gear. Oh, did we mention that they're walking around with a pair and a wolf? That might account for how quickly they are spotted by a Cobra spy who is following them. Back at the Devil's Playground, Flint and Lady J try to stop Destro, but his counterattack knocks the two of them off a rocky cliff into 
what looks like pink lava, but isn't. It's it's like pink sludge or something. They don't burn to death immediately, which is good, but they do appear to be drowning. And that is the cliffhanger on which this episode ends. It's a little confusing, but anyway, to be continued. <laughs> is, is that mud? Is it quicksand? Is it? It's. Uh, I. I. They're, they're next to a volcano, and there's this kind of reddish pink liquid nearby. I just assumed, wouldn't they be burning to death? But it, no. I, w- what is that stuff? I don't. But Destro uses a. He asks for a sander. A buffer. To get it off yeah. his face. Yeah, splash it on his face, and he just he, because you know the guys next to him, his his personal aide has a <laughs> sander a buffer. That just, yeah, it was one of my my notes. Is is as a mud? Is it quicksand? Is it because apparently it's not lava? Because again, as you said, they're not burning to death. Uh, and yes, Destro would use a sander to clean his head off earlier with it. So. I'm not quite sure what they fell into. <laughs> I landed on bubblegum. That's what I decided on. It's bubblegum. <laughs> there you go. That would explain a few things. <laughs> and I'm sure you ran on this, all sorts of things is, like that, Jared. <laughs> this is a chemical like dumping zone for Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> <laughs> Either bubblegum or Willy Wonka's dumping zone. I think I'd really go for the Willy Wonka. It's funnier. <laughs> Maybe it's like a jelly filling and where all the donut that you can't fit into the donut, that's where it goes. <laughs> well, thank you for so, that synopsis there. General thoughts on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly moving on. Jared, what are your thoughts on this this episode? Uh, you're going to walk back into this trap again. Okay, yeah. fine. I don't want to oh, goodness. <laughs> this, uh, this episode is uh, is much like the last one's all over the place. Uh, I feel like I should start off by mentioning that back in 1992, Pat Sampson and I were both in the Battle of the Bands. I played with Mountain of Glass, and he was the lead man for Devil's Playground. <laughs> and it was it was a uh, it was pretty good. But uh, <laughs> it was good times. Good times. It was good times. Uh, I feel like if I if I go down my list again, I'm going to steal everything everybody wants to talk about. So I, I guess I'll do my highlights. All right. I pulled I, I pulled Orion here like he did on the comics, and I actually did a little research on that on Ron Friedman, the guy who wrote the episode. Right. Mm-hmm. He actually run a he's written a ton of TV. He's written over seven hundred hours of broadcasted TV wow. to include shows like Andy Griffith, Bewitched, Gilligan's Island, All in the Family, and Happy Days. So I don't know why I did that. I was just like I'm gonna look this guy up, and I thought, wow, he's yeah, he's written a lot. I think he did some writing on the Transformers animated movie and the GI Joe animated movie. He did, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Real quick, while you're talking about people that worked on the episode, as it was ending, I happened to notice the credits, and apparently Bruce Tim worked on model designs on this. And, oh, that's cool. And I'm assuming it's the same Bruce Tim. It had double M, and unless there's more than one Bruce Tim out there. Again, I didn't put the research you guys did to go look to it further. But uh, Mike Vosberg, who we are familiar with from doing some art on a little book called G.I. Joe, was the storyboard director. Oh. So again, just, yeah, as I... I don't normally pay too much attention to the credits like everyone else. And as it was ending yesterday, as I was watching, I'm like, and it just caught my, I caught my eye on Bruce Tim. Like, Bruce Tim? Who do you think look at these credits? Who else I didn't recognize in this? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. well, it's interesting because he, Vosberg would have been drawing the book before this because yeah. obviously we're, we're not doing these concurrently. The, the cartoon that we're reviewing is two years later. So, right. interesting. So I just thought that was interesting that, and I'm assuming they pulled Mike over because of his expertise on drawing mm-hmm. the book. But yeah, no, I just thought that was an interesting little 
tidbit. Now remember that, because the more you know. I'm sorry, Jared. Go ahead and continue on. Oh, falling back into that trap. Okay, yeah, I, I make, I, um, again, I make mistakes. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll read off a few few items off my list and see if you guys have anything to jump in on them. Um, the first the first note I made is I do make the notes chronologically. The story was uh, don't try to trick me into liking that effing parrot. Um, <laughs> um, that was that's literally the first note that's on my list here because if you remember the parrot gets them out of trouble which if you remember the last episode I made a note about how like freaked out the robot got like someone programmed him to feel panic and anger because he was like intruders intruders and then and the parrot's like squawk over commander he's the coolest and then the robot was like oh okay everything's fine now you know, I was like, whoa, you go from zero to 100 and back to zero really fast. And he tells them to have a nice day. Yeah, he's like, have a nice day. See, it's all a, good. Forget about those buzz saws and those spike walls. It's all a, good. There's a comment there something about wives being the same way, but uh, I'm not going to make that. <laughs> can, we all, can we all bask and enjoy how utterly useless Snake Eyes was in this death trap? <laughs> Just pushing the wall. Just pushing on that wall. Yeah. <laughs> I think the problem was because he had that hat on over his mask. <laughs> I like to think that if Snake Eyes had the ability to talk, he would have been like, we're all going to die. Game over, man. Game over. Well, that's great. That's just great, man. Now what the f*** are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty s*** now, man. You finished. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, so, um, now my next note says, uh, wolves and parrots are apparently A-OK in Cobra HQ. And then, the, then, then someone actually called him out on it. So I put dot, dot, dot. Finally, someone <laughs> noticed this. <laughs> well, let me jump in there real quick. <laughs> I do like that the foreman questioned the pets, but still, no one's questioning Snake Eyes walking around in his full mask. <laughs> I, that's, that's, with the hat on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it's still it's part of that whole Cobra's used to having weirdos, so one of the guys walking around the mask, well, he must be trying to up himself and become one of Cobra's Cobra Commander's lackeys or something. But <laughs> you know, my favorite part in that entire sequence is the foreman calls refers to a shipwreck or something like as snakeling. What do you think you're doing? Uh, 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 what are we doing? Uh, uh, well, that's a heck of a question. Uh, uh, you know what we're doing? You're supposed to be earning your pay, Snakeling. Now get to work. Like, yeah. That's right. Yes. It's like a. It's like a. He uses like an insult, but it's sort of like sets up like there's a hierarchy within the branches of Cobra that he's not like a viper yet. He's not a Cobra trooper yet. He's still Snakeling. It's like the he hasn't gotten his merit badge yet. <laughs> well, you know they. I, I think you, that you know later on in the comics with Billy, mm. he's in that. You yeah, know, the Cubs sort of uniform. The Cobra the weird hip Cobra youth. Yeah, the Cobra. <laughs> yes. I believe it's called. Yeah, they're all snakelings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe snakeling is a house like in Harry Potter. Like I'm in snakeling. <laughs> That's a possibility. I'm in Copperheador. <laughs> I'm House Blood. <laughs> oh crap! I'm in House Blood. That never ends well. Major oh, blood, most most useless Cobra guy ever, but we're not here to talk about that. Oh, by the way, also in that scene, Shipwreck compares Destro to Attila the Hun and freaking Hitler. 
<laughs> he mentions Hitler by name in the scene. Just don't tell Destro who told you to take him. Uh, Destro owns those animals? Well, Hitler had a canary, a till of the hun like goldfish. What can I tell you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I definitely think this miniseries, like, starting with the last episode, we are getting a little bit sillier. Like, they realized their primary audience was children. Maybe they had to tone down some of these jokes and go a little bit sillier. That's why we get a lot more weird characters like Shipwreck with the Jack Nicholson impersonation and the parrot and the wolf and all of these things. These are silly elements designed to attract the kids, and I know because it worked on me. But they're also dropping <laughs> name-dropping Hitler in this. <laughs> like, it, it, I feel like, yeah, like Hasbro like went in there and they're like, hey, you guys did a great job on those first two miniseries. It's a huge success. You guys have got the reins. You obviously know what you're doing. <laughs> and they were like, really? <laughs> All right, we're going to sniff some glue and write a G.I. Joe episode. Here we go. That would explain the Fatal Furies. <laughs> and like, because based on that same thing like what are who are they writing for what is this going on like the admiral admiral ledger's bias against lady j and talking about how sh- how women on ship are, are thanks for letting us establish temporary headquarters on your carrier admiral ledger temporary is a word to remember flint i run a tight ship and that doesn't leave much room for visitors even when they're friendly but especially when they're female Women aren't bad luck at sea, Admiral. That's just an Old Navy superstition. Old Navy is just what I am, ma'am. I've been at sea so long, whales ask me for directions. Like, okay, I- I've heard that, like, a uh, hundred years ago, but, like, why is that in this cartoon? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it- it's nice that she stands up for herself, and, you know, you want to make the point about inclusion and, and her empowerment, but the admiral gets the last word in that scene. So it doesn't. Quite <laughs> it was, you got to remember, this was the eighties. We're not. We weren't as enlightened as we are now, you know. So <laughs> it was a quasi stand against sexism. Yeah. It was like she can do it. Nah, maybe. All right, moving on. <laughs> they didn't want to go very far. They just want to give a token effort into. Yeah. No, we're going to combat, combat sexism. Right, go ahead, Admiral Ledger. Go, go for it. <laughs> and the Admiral, like, he basically says, you know, like, why doesn't she just kind of, like, stay behind? Flint is ready to go along with the Admiral yeah. until she forces his hand. Lady J forces Flint to defend her. Well, and he's like, find the right yeah, hand what? for the job. <laughs> the devil's playground, but that's no place for a lady, Flint. I will need someone to maintain surveillance aboard the carrier. And I'm sure you'll pick the right man for the job. Yo, Joe! She's not just a lady, Admiral Ledger. She's my teammate. Yo, Joe! <laughs> Flint is totally ready to, like, roll over and just, like, yeah, maybe you stay behind until she kind of gives him the death glare. He's like, nope, she got back. <laughs> she does that, like, wife-girlfriend thing where it's like a quick reminder of, of what his needs are going to be after the mission are over, yeah. you know? And he was like, oh, yeah, uh, you totally need to come with me. <laughs> I think later on, then he says he tries to make it up to her by saying, "Oh, that color looks good on you." But you get splashed with the pink stuff. That's right. He's just trying to work. We've all been there. Come on, we've all been there. Yeah, we've all tried to work our way out. Oh, speaking of craziness, by the way, am I crazier? Did that bird not at one point say, "Lovely Polly, sweet booty"? Uh, I didn't hear that part. I wrote it down because he, he, it was not long after they got called out 
the bird said, oh, lovely Polly, sweet booty. I could swear that's what he said, and I thought that was weirdly random. So anyway, go back and check that one out and get back to me. But uh, take care of these little pets. Lovely Polly, sweet booty. You must have the uh, non-rated version. Yeah, I do. Well, since they sniffed glue while they wrote it, I sniffed glue while I watched it. So that might have been. <laughs> uh, how about this? How about ATVs, four-wheelers? They, when you're in zero gravity, you can fly them around like spaceships. Who's got thoughts? You know, I had that's, that a, that's on my list, yeah. I had that on my note also. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I don't know. Again, like that one commercial. That's not the way this works. That's the way any of this works. <laughs> And, and the junkyard's able to just walk alongside of them, too, as they're floating along. <laughs> like, yeah, I've never been in zero gravity. I'm sure you have, Jared, on many of your uh, army. Yeah, that was day uh, six. That was day six of my military training. <laughs> but, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm so they're flying around. I'm like, I, I don't know if, if just dr- if you can drive an ATV through the air. I don't think that works that way. I could be wrong. <laughs> no. No, it's been in my vast military experience when we were flying ATVs in space. It just didn't work out that way. Did not. Oh, goodness. Uh, let's see. My next question, my uh, next note is a question, and it just says, did Dusty just sing a song? <laughs> question mark. Yes, he did. I think Dusty just randomly sang some sort of country blues kind of song. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I even wrote a song about it. When you slave for a cobra, sure is neat to do your work to a boogie-woogie beat. Just let your feet tap and move while the prisoners groove with a bodio dodio reet. Yes. In, in, that was in the middle the of this crisis. <laughs> That was not the glue. That was actually there. I did see that. That one. really happened? Okay, not a fever dream. Or That's good. So is this – I got another question here in my notes. Um, am I crazy or do fuzzy furries speak English? No, they do speak some form of they, English. They do speak English. Okay, so not a fever dream, not a glue sniffing. They got it. goes back to my question from last month. Did, did Cobra create these? Are these aliens? I'm, I'm curious about – again, much like Scarface, we don't learn anything more about – for my mistake, and uh, we don't know anything more about the fuzzy, fatal furries, whatever. So I'm just curious where they came from, and yeah, they can speak English relatively fine, except when they start grunting. But and they also have uh, belts with uh, you know things to pouches on them. <laughs> yeah, and they can shoot a gun and a whip. <laughs> a whip that conducts electricity, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. Uh. I remember when Mountain Glass and Devil's Playground was, was playing that one game and Fatal Furious play was the opening band for that that session. Uh, uh, I got another 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 question in my notes. Yes. Has Duke been captured again? What an effing surprise! <laughs> Has there been a series yet where he hasn't been captured? Quick question. No, that is actually that is the recurring theme in. All of the G.I. Joe miniseries, is the five-part miniseries, is Duke gets captured in the first episode of each. I like Duke, but yeah, he's beginning to become pretty worthless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what? one of the other formulaic things is that in all of these, we end up getting a scavenger hunt. Yes. Yeah. Uh, on all of these miniseries where the Joes and Cobras have to go off into these little side miniseries, and they always take them to these bizarre locales with amazing names. Like the like last time we had the island of no return and the palace of doom, um, so I just I, I love the 
as silly and as formulaic as it is, I like when they send them out to these weird locations like the Devil's Playground or you know the oh the city uh, the city of the dead, which is the name of this episode, Rendezvous in the City of the Dead. Right. We don't see that. That should be the episode <laughs> title for the next one. They never <laughs> actually did Rendezvous. With this. Yeah, I was saying that as I was looking through my DVD the other day. I'm like, wait a minute, I watched that. Uh, that's funny. The city wasn't in that. They one. don't get there yet. That's the, the, that's the same <laughs> central part of the next episode. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I always like too. As Ryan was mentioning, you know, they have that scavenger hunt, and they both get one piece of the thing, mm-hmm. and then they always it's always going to end where oh oh one piece left. Who's going to get it? You know, <laughs> let go of my eagle. <laughs> Well, when we're talking about the uh, space space station scene, does the control room has different gravity controls than the rest of the station? <laughs> yeah. Because they, they turn off the gravity, they're turning it on and off, and it's all the way up to the door of the control room. But inside the control room, they don't act like anything's going on, like they've been floating around and dropping to the ground. But up until that door, the gravity's being affected. So I'm just wondering, is that, again, Jared, with your military expertise... Does the control room yeah. have different gravity controls than the rest yeah. of the station? So we on day six we did zero gravity battlefield stuff, and then on day seven we did some gravity, some non gravity. How will that play out? <laughs> and um, <laughs> it ring it really does ring true to uh, okay. to the training that I received. Oh good, as long as um, we make sure of that. Did you do that training with pets? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, some people brought a parrot. Some people brought wolf. Hmm. Uh, personally. Uh, I, I I brought a frog. That's just how I go. <laughs> there you go. I have a I have a great note here from when they get down to because you guys already brought up that that Destro needs a sander when they get down to Bubblegum Valley or wherever right. the hell they were. Um, I made a note that says Destro has mad survey skills, like geological <laughs> survey right. skills. I mean, he was working that. What the hell is that thing called? Tricorder. I don't know. That, that he had the geological tripod. He was like scoping it out. He was making notes. I was like, I thought this guy just made weapons. He's he's got survey skills, so I thought that was interesting. But my favorite part, and probably my favorite part of the whole episode, I think. Although I do have a couple more notes because I don't want to let you down. My favorite part is when Flint and the team get down there and they see the cube, right? Right. And Flint basically says, "I don't know what that is." But I want to blow it up. <laughs> I just liked that. She's like, so he says, "What is that cube?" And he's like, "I'm not sure, but we're gonna blow it up." That's a guy for I you. like that. That's, I like that's it. a man. That's a man. I'm not sure what that is, but we're gonna put, pump a few rounds into it and see what happens. Let's go over here, Ryan. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this issue? Uh, most, most of it. I've already said. Like again. The, the I'm not liking this mini series as much as the two previous ones so far. Um, there are there are good things that I like. I, for instance, actually the the main kind of action set piece in this one, the chase scene with shipwreck and, and snake eyes on their little handrail cart right. in the tunnels being chased. I like that. I thought it was kind of cool. It reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Right. Um, not quite that breathtaking, but for what it was, it was kind of interesting. Some of the stunts and the the physics-defying uh, acrobatics that Snake Eyes does, but I still I I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. It was a fun little set piece that we hadn't seen yet in a GI Joe type of show, so that was good. We're we're spending a lot of time in the series with characters I don't like as much. Like I said last time, shipwreck a little of shipwreck goes a long way. 
And when you when he's partnered with a guy like Snake Eyes who can't talk for himself, <laughs> that just means Shipwreck has to talk twice as much. Dusty is okay, but he's never been one of my favorites either. So uh, it's just I, I don't have like a signature character that I'm latching onto with this one, and the silly the silliness is. I, I, I'm, it's not bad. There, I don't know if there was ever a Joe episode that I hated. I just don't like these ones as much. So let me ask you a question. Do you think it might be might have been a little better? A, if they toned down shipwreck, and B, if if they didn't have the fatal or furies, furies, what are the other called? Fluffies. Um, Thank you. I feel called furies. Uh, changing either one of those would have been better. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, like. I, I kind of like. I don't mind the fatal fluffies as silly as they are. That, like, I I kind of get that. That's just part of GI Joe. I mean, later on in the series, we have like a Jurassic Park thing where a scientist brings dinosaurs back. So, the GI Joe cartoon always lived in a little bit more of a science fantasy realm than the comics did. Uh, and I can I can accept that. One of my issues is like once they have the fatal like once the shock value is over, like they don't really do a whole lot. Like those could have been just Cobra Troopers, or I mean they they're kind of like tricked into having their own riot to give Dusty enough time to do this thing. But the Dreadnoks are just that stupid. You could have done the exact same thing with the Dreadnoks and had them fighting each other and rioting. Well, let me so let me tag off that real quick. My I do have a note on that about Dusty's distraction. I didn't really work out too well because one of the uh, fatal guys came up on him anyways. And did this was this distraction really needed? Because I mean, they were had the Furies had their back to Dusty anyways when Dusty was doing what he was doing. So I don't even know if that whole fight was actually necessary for them to do what they needed to do. It's a that's a good point because like it presupposes that the fatal fluffies know all about the complex electronics work that the Joes are doing on this space station that they could tell when Dusty is actually like hijacking like the comm system and rewiring something to actually like create like a a second signal bounce or something like like if the fluffies were that smart I kind of feel like they'd be the ones calling the shots in this thing, and not, <laughs> and not Zartan. Yeah, and don't even get me started on the whole electrical communication system they have there, with those glowing wires, and I'm not quite sure how that all works out. But my, I, my favorite part of that is when 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 Dusty's like doing the work, and Mutt comes over, he's like, "I know you used to repair refrigerators, but does it mean you do this?" And I'm like, "Dusty, he flew you here in the space shuttle, and just now you're questioning this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little thought that you know what? If you're Joe, you can do anything. So you don't question well, him. The question is, why can't you do it also? <laughs> I know, right? It's all in basic can, military training. <laughs> he can fix refrigerators. He can rewire space shuttle like communication systems. He can fly a spaceship, and he can like come up with he can ad lib a boot scoot song like he's in an M and M eight mile like just rap contest. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, he's the vaudeville of of GI Joe. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> oh goodness. And and why would you? Who would think that leaving, uh, you know, people the dreadnoughts as good babysitters? <laughs> yeah. Right. We've got these We're, large uncontrolled giving them monsters. vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of <laughs> these morons in charge. Speaking as a father, I I wouldn't let these three morons be in charge of anything. <laughs> 
and, and, and sincerely speaking on behalf of my military experience, I wouldn't let those three morons be in charge of anything. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> well, let's jump over to Pat real quick. Pat, do you have any other comments on this that we haven't touched upon yet? Um, I, well, I, I do just another going back. I do like the strong portrayal of Lady J there. I, I thought that was really good. Her yeah. I mean, uh, portrayal of women, kind of the same stuff we've already talked about. One thing, being the person that uh, uh, kind of guy that I am, I like that all the data on that information of the cubes was holed out on a laser disc back in those days. They didn't have <laughs> a CD. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> so uh, I, I can I can relate to that. And then, um, you know, just the snake eyes and his hat, uh, wearing that hat. And then he finally, finally takes it off for them to go, you know, just as they're making their escape, he finally takes the hat off. It's like, why, what, why does he keep the hat on? <laughs> the hat really bugged you, didn't it? It did. He's got a mask on. Come on, looks like a Cobra Trooper. <laughs> but speaking of that escape, and uh, you know how I like to steal shows from you, Pat. I, I, I did have this note, and and Ryan mentioned too when they escaped in that handcart, like mm-hmm. oh, it, yeah. it had an engine, right? <laughs> and then, but shipwreck says in probably the loudest voice he's used in the entire episode, "We can't risk the noise." <laughs> and I'm like, "Shut up, dude! You're making more noise than the engine does." <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. He's yelling, we can't risk the noise. That's not a he's phrase also, you yell. He's also saying that to two animals and a mute guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and am I crazy, or did that dog not actually pump that hand cart for a while? <laughs> <laughs> it reminds Jump. me of like an old Scooby-Doo cartoon. Where Scooby-Doo and... <laughs> Seriously, give Timber the MVP award for this episode, just for that. <laughs> He bites some guy's leg off, a biting guy, and then, uh, then he bite, then he uh, grabs shipwreck from falling again, and that, and he he bit that guy in the upper inner thigh, by the way. Just yeah, yeah he got yeah. the femoral artery. Yeah, that, that guy's. <laughs> For a half second there, I was like, "What the heck?" Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I like Cobra Commander or whoever that is, whoever designs their you know bases and all that. You know they they keep that theme. Let's get into these carts that look like snakes. <laughs> and we're gonna come. They're very good at branding. That, that was Joe Gunn yeah. marketing. I mean, they even offered that dude ten thousand gold fanged shillings. He was like ten thousand gold. <laughs> like you've got your own currency. Damn. Cobra brands everything. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Uh, well, the only thing I have on my note, one thing I'm think watching these episodes is, and then watching the, the two movies they've done, especially the last one, I think I'm missing out uh, with The Rock playing Roadblock without Roadblock, Roadblock doing all the rhyming he does. I mean, here, Roadblock, <laughs> does all that, where he speaks, he speaks in rhyme. We didn't get that he does. <laughs> no, we didn't. Uh, I, had a, I had a note about that. Not necessarily about the rhyming, though, but um, in in my day job, my primary day job is I, I teach leadership classes for, for corporate America. And I had to make some notes. And I was like, this, I could use this in class. I love his leadership style, <laughs> which is straight up physical intimidation. Just like, hey, it was like Footloose. And who was in the front with Footloose? Airtight. That's right. Airtight <laughs> was like being all nerdy. Footloose all kicked back. And Roblox came up there and like mad rhyming skills. was like, hey, if, we don't, if you don't get this mission going, I'm going to punch you in the face. And they were like, got it. And I was like, that's some sweet leadership skills. <laughs> I some notes of that. You have to incorporate that in your own 
teaching style. Yeah, I think, I think that'll work pretty well in corporate America. <laughs> you, button your lip and fly this ship. And you, on your toes or I'll mash your nose. You two dingbats never headed a mission before. Well, that's why Admiral Ledger put me in charge. So shape up now or this goes pow. Oh, and by the way, and we'll address this a lot more in the next episode, but we should, you know, be appropriately grateful that that Footloose represents the Cheech and Chong fan base <laughs> yes. that is watching G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, I love, like, even in, like, the character, like, in his file card, like, it's for the toy, it mentions that, like, after school, he just kind of, like, went out to the West Coast and got weird for a little while. Like, that's in quotation marks. I'm like, so he became a druggie. Like, he became a pothead or did a lot of mushrooms or something. And then if you listen to how he talks in the cartoon, it's like, yeah, he's a stoner. There's a stoner with an M16 going on the mission with you. It's... He's like, yeah, oh, yeah I'm so tired, man. He's not loose. He's... He talks like Cheech and Chong or the dude. He's like, yeah, yeah well, like, why don't you just like chill out or whatever? <laughs> it's oh, just man. like your opinion, man. Yeah, he was one of the coolest looking toys because he looked like like the most like you know a, a jungle camo grunt soldier or whatever. It was awesome, but like you listen to him talk, and it's, oh my gosh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness! You guys might be happy to know in the in the actual military when there's classified operations that go on, stoners trickle down to the bottom of the list. You don't usually bring those guys along. Oh, they're not they're not part of your elite recon force. And- no, there's usually some pretty strict testing methods. Okay, so if they if you had to send the stoner to one place, would it be the city of the dead? Would it be the mountain of glass or the devil's playground? Um. If it was the city of the deadheads, then that was probably. <laughs> 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 oh, I did have to laugh, and I'm, I think I'm still stealing Showtime from Pat, which I love to do. Uh, That's why I like I just I thought it was neat that they come up in a place called Enterprise City, and I am speaking to you now. I live in Enterprise City. Oh, there you so, go. That's where I live. I, I'm the guy in the uh, sailor's outfit with, <laughs> with, the, with the bird on my shoulder. It makes you all the more suspicious now. <laughs> you got to do that. That's got to be your Halloween costume now. Right? <laughs> I mean, I'm an enterprise. Only if you come down and wear the snake eyes, get up and bring your yeah, with the hat. I'll bring the hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm really done talking now, Pat. It's all you. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to give you at least three minutes. Go. Oh, I said my part. Let's uh, see what Aaron has to say. Well, I said we've covered everything except for the last thing I've got here is last episode I commented on uh, Cobra Commander using binoculars. As I'm watching the opening credits on this, I noticed in something I didn't really pay attention to that he uses the binoculars there also with his, his mask on, with the helmet on. I don't know quite know how the binoculars work with the mask, but it's just I thought that was an interesting little... I, I kind of complained about it last episode, and I'm watching the opening. I'm like, Wait, he does the same thing here. What the heck? <laughs> I still think it's a Viewmaster, and he's just watching little 3D slideshows. <laughs> Very well could be. Speaking of Cobra Commander, he comes on down on the monitor, a big screen monitor at the where they're building the cubes and tells everybody, hey, you're doing a great job, but let, hurry up and let's get this done. <laughs> he still has better leadership skills than Roadblock. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian, do you have any other notes or comments on this? No, I don't think so. Uh, no. No. Pat, are you good? I'm good. And Jared, do you have any other witty comments? I, I stepped or? in the trap again. Okay. Yeah, I, I do that. I, again, I don't learn. No, I only, I only have one seriously legitimate question, because you guys know the cartoon way better than me. I'm fairly familiar with the comic book, and I haven't seen the cartoon since they aired new. That should give you an idea. Um, I noticed that Quick Kick is in the is in the opening credits. And I, I dig on Quick Kick. Is he going to show up at all in this series, or is that just like a tease? No, I believe he shows up in the very next episode. Oh, okay. uh, and that, cool. that was actually that was a note that I made because I think we meet him for the first time in episode three of this series. And it's kind of a big deal, like his, his kind of introduction, because it doesn't sound like he's part of the team. But he was in crowd shots in the first episode when they were in the G.I. Joe headquarters before it got blown up by Zartan. Oh, so he okay, like if, I if, you look in the, if you look in the background, he was in some of those shots. But later on, he meets Alpine and Bazooka at, at the Mountain of Glass, and it's like they don't they have no idea who he is. So yeah, I believe you'll only have to wait one more episode before he's introduced. Oh, okay, and he's Very a good cool. I, I like him. He's he's probably the the best part of this miniseries, I think, when we actually meet him. I would have thought he would have been a better place, like in the jungle one, you know, because he doesn't wear shoes, so he doesn't want to send him to the lava area. And do you think the snow would be too cold for him to be walking around without any shoes on? He's a joke. <laughs> You're just looking out for his for his foot. Yeah. His his kung fu is just that good. Yes. <laughs> The only other thing I, I've got is I think we should probably do some kind of public service announcement at the end of the episode that, that you know, sniffing glue is bad. You know, like, <laughs> knowing's half the battle. I'll put you sniffing glue. Yeah. I was, <laughs> for all the kids listening to this, don't do that, okay? That's a bad thing. Yeah, sniffing glue is bad, okay? <laughs> that, that would be the Footloose version, the Footloose <laughs> PSA that he hosts. That knowing is half the battle would be the, the anti-drug, anti-sniffing glue one. There you go. The Footloose PSA, they're just like, Footloose, what do you understand? He's like, whatever, man. <laughs> G.I. Joe. <laughs> it's bad, man. It's bad. It's, it's like, a bad do scene, all, bro. Don't do those drugs, man. Like, sell them to me. <laughs> <laughs> Turn them in for money. G.I. Joe. <laughs> hey, kids, are you holding? <laughs> Well, just for information's sake, Doc does one on don't do drugs, and Footloose does one on how to stop a nosebleed. <laughs> oh, After this conversation, seems very fitting now. <laughs> I wonder how he got that nosebleed. <laughs> well, okay, all right. It's he. He doesn't have. He's way too mellow to be a cokehead. So it's got to be from like spray paint cans and a sock that he's huffing. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, okay, on that note, I think we're gonna go take a break. Uh, we'll be right. Wait, back. I want to figure oh, out. I, I want to figure out which Joe is most likely to be a cokehead. Who's the one that's most am- airtight? It's airtight from that episode. <laughs> He's like, I want to do some calculations, and I'm gonna do. This. <laughs> Let's clean the ship. You want to clean the ship? I feel like cleaning the ship. <laughs> He's got that special Yojo cola that where it's like Yojo Kickstarter <laughs> monster. Aaron, I just want to say I retroactively love this episode now. <laughs> Before you were on the fast day, you're like, you know what? I actually like this episode. <laughs> All right. Well, hold tight, kids. We're going to not sniff some glue. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Batman Nightcast, a thrilling new podcast from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Hosted by Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin, Nightcast chronicles the Cape Crusaders' adventures in Batman and Detective Comics after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Highlights from this legendary era include Batman number 400, Legends, Mike Barr and Alan Davis, Batman Year One, Batman Year Two, Max Allen Collins, Ugh. Um, the new Jason Todd, Ugh. Millennium? You're not doing this right, let me take over. Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle! Alan Grant from Jurassic Park? Did you hear me say Norm freaking Brayfogle? Oh yeah! Son of the Demon! The Killing Joke. A Death in the Family. Batman Year 3. A Lonely Place of Dying. Alan Grant, Alan Davis, Max Allen Counts. Why are there so many people named Alan from this era of Batman? The Rise of Tim Drake. Legends of the Dark Knight. And that's just up until 1989. Did anything exciting happen with Batman after that? You'll have to tune in to find out. Batman Nightcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Find it on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Oh, we forgot to mention your favorite issue, When Batman Fires Dick Grayson. You want to find another co-host? My name is Michael Bailey. And I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime. Never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek. And I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Longbox to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them and then... Well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box, a podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. And I've sent the guys over to the mechanics pool so they can re- learn how to repair spaceships, landing pods, and communications gear. Uh, while they're away, let's go ahead and take a look at the post box, the pit. And I've got a confession to make. Apparently, I'm a little bit of an idiot. Uh, I had the post box, the pit written up for last episode, episode 13, and it seems like I forgot to uh, actually include it with that episode. 
So you guys get a double feature. I'm going to do for both episode 13 and 14 this time. Uh, and if I just miss 13 and it's there and I just didn't hear it when I re-listened to it, well, bear with me. But <laughs> So let's go ahead and go for the post box to pit, which was should have been for episode 13. Over on Twitter, we have Three Cuckoos Podcast, Alexander Osisis, Amish Baby Machine, Austin L. Brooks, Bill Bear, Coffee and Comics Blog, Comic Social Club, Cosplay, a.k.a. Cosplay Women, Dylan C., which is Pound DC Bros Pod, EMA Hip Hop Podcast, Fariko Medina, G.I. Joe Berg, Good Times Great Movies, Rayful Dalek, H-O-C-O-F, How Is This Movie, Jared Albrick, which you may have heard recently, uh, Jason Stars, Joe A. Day, Joe on Joe Podcast, Joe Battlelines, Joel Krotz, Justice's First Dawn, Learning Not to Swear, The Long Box Crusade, Pod Dylan, Quartercast Courtney, try that again, that was Quadcast Courtney, Rated 80s, Resurrection Point, Rolled Spine Podcast, our good buddy Ryan Daly, Salem Al Shaman, Sean at Odd M. Macabre, Second Union, Sean Merrick, Skinny, Sleek the Geek, Steve Rogers, Still Human Podcast, Stroke Hope, The 108th Sage, The Damn Sportscast, The Realist Podcast, The Shack, The Go To Geeks, When It Was Cool, Xenozoic Xenophiles, YT, Zach Dyer, and ZP Zakin. And over on Facebook, we have Aaron Henley, Abel Padilla, Andre Lashley, Andy Kapalish, Batman Nightcast, Birani Gogori, Billy Locke, Gorn Koopman, Brad Withers, Brian Drum, Chad Downey, Chris Tyler, Clinton Robinson, Cody Bentley, David Arceo, David A. Pascarella, Dex Moss, Donnie Way Johnson, Doug Miller, Gary James Bledsoe, Gotham Shuren, Gene Hendricks, hey Gene, Gino Ames, Gore Tolton, Henry Sacha Jr., James Johnson, Jared Albrick, the all yard sale artist, Jason Clem, Jeremy Richardson, Joe Fishman, Joshua Hayek, Javadani Deshun Botton, Julie Jansen, Justin Woodleaf, Kevin M. Reitzel, Kimitaya Gillespie Fergamo, hope I'm not messing these up too bad, Lawrence Mack, Marquillo Noguria, Mark Curtis, Mark Volreek, Matt Morino, Matthew Bassett, Matthew Cashel, Michael Allen Carlisle, Michael Crilly, Michael Wagner, Mike Drake, Mike Hodges, Mike Krogman, Mitchell Lipka, our buddy Pat Sampson, Pete Dewey Knott, Raffaello Arcado, Roger Castle III, again Ryan Daly, Sarah Monroe, The Secret Origins Podcast, Steve Rittner, The Finest, The G.I. Joe Costume Club, The Long Box Crusade, Tim Wallace, Van Z, and When It Was Cool, When It Was Cool. And these are Facebook comments that from, again, these were shipped on last episodes. Uh, Brad Withers says, I love you guys. Can't wait to hear the next episode. 
I replied back to him, telling him I'm working on it, working on my home life, having young kids, blah, blah, blah. And Brad says, hey, I get that. I'm just thankful you guys are sticking with it. Although you might think about a couple issues, doing a couple issues, an episode ahead of just one so you can get through it. Ha <laughs> ha. And actually, I'm thinking about working on something like that. Uh, that's in the plans, Brad. Thanks for the comments. Uh, also on Facebook, I posted a picture of President Trump approves confirmation of Destro and Cobra Commander as heads of Homeland Security. And Michael Wagner commented, do he and the commander whine to each other about how unfair it is that people are being non-compliant? <laughs> and of course, I had to come back. Of course they do. And Gino Ames pops in saying, seems about right, sadly. And again, why I try not to get too political on, especially on the Facebook with, with my G.I. Joe podcast, I just thought that was too funny not to post and comment on here. We talked about a Mighty Quinn figure. Matt Moreno made a comment saying that him and Dr. Venom and the October Guards always wish they would made it in the vintage line. And I agree. And over on emails, we have Matthew Okada. This is back from November the 1st of 2016. Sorry for the delay, Matt. Matthew said, Hey, man, great job. Looking forward to the other episodes. I, too, listened to the other Joe podcast you mentioned. This one is better already. Talk to you again. Well, thanks, Matthew. Again, sorry for the delays. I know the other one I mentioned previously, it kind of went the same way. It kind of went periodically, more periodically, and then stopped. Uh, Knock on wood. I'm hoping that doesn't happen with this one. I'm working hard to keep it going because I love G.I. Joe. I love talking with the guys about G.I. Joe. And I love hearing from you guys about G.I. Joe. Speaking about hearing from you guys from about G.I. Joe, we had another email from Eric in Denton, Texas. Uh, Eric said, I found your G.I. Joe podcast last month. Just finished episode 12, but no more episodes since 816. Hope all is well and you plan to continue. I gave up talk radio for shows like yours and G.I. Joeberg. Yo, Joe. Eric in Denton, Texas. Well, again, thank you, Eric, very much for writing in. And as I said, I, I plan on continuing the show as long as possible. Uh, sometimes things get delayed, my home life gets in the way, but I'm doing my darndest to get this show out and trying to do my best to get it back on a regular more basis, on a more regular basis. Uh, anyways, that's it for comments from episode 13. Uh, now for the likes and everything for episode 14. It's a bit short of a list because I didn't have such a long hiatus. Uh, there were no Twitter comments over on Facebook. Following our comments and likes and re-Facebooks and all that. We have Alfie France, David, Asper, David A. Pascarella, Gotham Shuren, Gaza Gaz Mitchell, Gene Hendricks, Gino Ames, Gord Tolton, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Cell Artist, Jason Clem, Maxwell Woodruff, Michael Allen Carlisle, Pat Sampson, Richard Blake, Roderick Castle III, Ronnie Alayo, The Irredeemable Shag, Sean Merrick, Steve Rittner, and The Longbox Crusade. Also over on Facebook, Milo Pantone said, Glad you guys are back. I was honestly worried. Love this podcast. Yo, Joe. Well, Milo, as I just said, hopefully we're back for good. Hopefully I don't have any long delays like I did last time. Again, I apologize profoundly for that. I am working on trying to get this out again on a more regular basis. But thank you for sticking with us. I appreciate that. But I guess that's going to do it for this episode's uh, 
Postbox the pits. And here comes the guys back from the mechanics pool. Uh, Jared, before you take off, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? All right, on the internet, uh, you can find me. If you just want to follow me personally, I'm on Twitter at Yard Sale Artist. And on Facebook, I'm also Yard Sale Artist. I have my own podcast called Comics with Normies, where we have normal people read comics and give us their take on them. Uh, normal people being those people who don't normally read comics. Anyway, um, that, that can be followed at, uh, Normies Comics on Twitter or Comics with Normies on Facebook. And the show itself is on the White Rocket Entertainment Network, uh, which you can find on iTunes or you can go to whiterocket.podbean.com. You can also find me on another show there called On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast about James Bond. I also do a show with um, some other guy, I can't remember his name, uh, called The Long Box Crusade. Uh, I'm sure that will be brought up again later. <laughs> and if you're more interested in, in, <laughs> in uh, checking uh, me out on more of my art side of my career, I've got a couple of uh, upcoming convention appearances down in Ocala, Florida on the 10th and 11th of June. Liberty Con Tennessee and Chattanooga on the 30th of June to the 2nd of July. And I will be at Dragon Con, one of the big ones in Atlanta, the 1st to the 4th of September. I promise I have nothing else to plug. And speaking of the Long Box Crusade, Mr. Pat Sampson, do you have something to plug? Yes. Um, sure. Uh, just give me a moment. i got to put this wrench back that Dr. Venom gave me to put back in the <laughs> box here. Uh, yeah, you, over you by can... that broken chair. <laughs> Put loose. Put that paint thinner down. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you can find me on the uh, as uh, Jared kind of alleviated there. Uh, I'm on the Long Box Crusade. I host that with Jared. Uh, so we have some fun on there. Um, we're uh, gonna uh, also his brother's gonna be on there coming up soon. So um, you can uh, take a listen to us there. Uh, we also have another podcast where we're working on together called Comics to Council, where we're going to be looking at comic books uh, or comic-themed video games and how they relate there. So we, that'll be coming out pretty soon. Um, yeah, that was a good episode. Uh, otherwise, um, you can just find me on the Facebook uh, under Longbox Crusade and on Twitter. Right on. And Mr. Daly. Where can people find you at? I've got a number of podcasts on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, including Batman Nightcast, Midnight the Podcasting Hour, Give Me Those Star Wars, and Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary, and Zatanna Podcast. And I just want to say for all of you listeners, help us out. Give us some listener feedback by telling us which G.I. Joe or Cobra character do you think would be a cocaine head? <laughs> Major blood. <laughs> Definite coke, definite coke user. <laughs> and as far as myself, uh, you can find me right here on the Headcast Network. I have my shows, Head Speaks, where I talk about comics, movies, anything that I feel like talking about. I have Task Force X, where I talk about the John Ostinger Suicide Squad and the Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I have the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where I talk about the Will Payton Starman and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comics, again, from the late 80s, early 90s. Sensing a little theme here with me. And, of course, G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, which you're listening to right now. And, again, if you guys have any thoughts, please send us emails. Uh, we're dying to hear from you. And, again, if you like this show, if you don't like this show, if you're whatever about the show, go ahead and let us know. And if you listen to us on iTunes, leave us a rating over there, a little review. As usual, you know, if 
the more ratings we get there helps people find the show. So go ahead and leave us a rating. Send us an email uh, where we're on Facebook. You can find us looking on Facebook either under G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast, or you can go to the main feed of Headcast Network and leave your thoughts there. You guys send us an email. We'll read it on the show. Otherwise, I guess that's it for this episode. Remember, don't sniff paint or glue. And uh, <laughs> you guys heard that from here. So remember, knowing is half the battle. Uh, yo, yo, Joe. Joe. Cobra, la, 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 la. <laughs> like, like, yo, Joe, man. <laughs> See, you. See you guys. <laughs> Bobby, my stomach hurts. Oh, I'll give you some of Dad's medicine. It's real strong stuff. That a prescription for danger. Doc! Never take medicine without a grown-up present. You could do more harm than good. What should we do? If you can, wait for your parents. Or if it's serious, ask a neighbor for help. Hey, Mom's home. Now you'll get help. And now we know what to do next time. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Put your head back. That's the wrong play. Footloose. Pinch your nose closed and lean forward. If it doesn't stop in five minutes, we'll pack your nose with gauze and pinch it closed for ten more minutes. If it's still bleeding, then see a doctor. The bleeding stopped. Now we know how to stop a nosebleed. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is available monthly on iTunes, Stitcher, and at headspeaks.com. All characters and stories are owned and trademarked by the respective owners. We claim no ownership other than our opinions. All audio and images are used for entertainment purposes and falls under fair use. We make no money from this headcast. For more of the monthly G.I. Joe, check out the IDW series. For the stories we're covering, look for the comics and trade paperbacks. Let us know what you think. Send us an email letting us know your thoughts. Joe's dismissed. G.I. Joe! Is Brian, di- Brian there? No. Did we lose Ryan? I think he said he had enough of this bull crap. <laughs> he left. I get that from people. I don't know why. <laughs> Try that. I think you too scared him off. <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> Ryan? Yeah, I'm here. There you are. There he is. Okay. So we're all back. Um, Jared and Pat are going to work out your guys' differences. Ryan's going to be the, uh, <laughs> the uh, I don't know what you want to call it, the uh, counselor, the uh, goalie, the uh, referee. That's what I'm looking for. These damn sports terms. Yeah. Ryan just thought this was a G.I. Joe podcast. <laughs> this is actually an intervention. <laughs> we got we some problems we got to work out. G.I. Joe! You know what you have? <laughs> <laughs> that you're the worst character ever. <laughs> oh. This is what, tell him, Pat, this is what happens when you invite Jared to your show. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fast roller coaster ride that only goes down. <laughs> yeah, I don't even put in all the outtakes that I. <laughs> Um, if you, you, yeah, we'd be in big trouble if you publish half the stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
We're saving that for our box set collection. <laughs> <laughs> 